We turn in God's inspired word this evening to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, we read the first 10 verses, and this will be our text this evening. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house or as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible's full of doctrinal instruction. God reveals himself in all his greatness and glory in his word, and that from many different perspectives, but the Bible also illustrates God's doctrine by showing us how that truth applies in individual cases. The historical narrative that we consider this evening is a case in point. We have here the story of Zacchaeus, and many of you children know that story well. It is, from many points of view, a wonderful story especially when you can put yourself in the place of Zacchaeus and see your life reflected in him, confessing from the heart the truth set forth in verse 10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The words found in verse 10, the summary or theme of the entire story concerning Zacchaeus are the heart of every Christian's confession. Jesus is the Savior and friend of sinners whom he came to seek and to save. So I ask you to consider with me this evening the Savior of the lost. And we're going to consider this text and the wonderful truth set forth in verse 10 by following the illustration which is the life and salvation of this man named Zacchaeus. I ask you to notice, first of all, that which is lost. And we focus in this point on Zacchaeus, but with personal application. 
Secondly, I want you to call your attention to who he is that saves. He calls himself the Son of Man. And then finally, we notice the effect of that salvation. When Jesus speaks of that which was lost, it's clear from the context that he's applying those words particularly to Zacchaeus. Verse 9, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is a son of Abraham. In fact, he was speaking directly to Zacchaeus in the hearing of, of these many neighbors and onlookers who were wondering why Jesus should take such an interest in that man. Zacchaeus was the kind of a man for which there would seem to be no hope of salvation. Oh, he was a Jew. Perhaps his parents were even believing Jews. But Zacchaeus himself was a publican. He was as far from religious as one could be. A publican was a tax collector for the Roman government. And that made him a despicable character. It was not merely a matter of his working for the government, something which a Christian might do. And we have examples of Joseph and Daniel in Scripture as those who come immediately to mind as holding government offices even. But a publican collected taxes in a way totally unlike the way taxes are collected today in our country. The Roman government sold contracts to the highest bidder, enabling a person to be a tax collector. And that tax collector then had to guarantee the Roman government a specific revenue. How the tax collectors obtained that revenue, however, was not of concern to Rome. So most tax collectors were extortioners who collected from the people taxes far higher than what were required by the government. And we read of Zacchaeus that he was chief among the publicans. He apparently had the run of the publican office, as it were, not only in Jericho itself, but in the suburbs and and the surrounding areas, he was the one most responsible for the criminal corruption and stealing that was taking place by those in office. He was despicable in the eyes of all the people. One other factor that contributed to this view of the publicans as despicable characters and Zacchaeus as the same, was that the Jews recognized the nation of Israel as the only legitimate nation, God's nation. For a Jew to go to work as a publican, therefore, was to forsake his own heritage and to raise taxes for a heathen government who stood principally opposed to the nation of Israel. 
He was noted, Zacchaeus was noted as having forsaken the church, as it were, and having taken from God's people that which they considered their property. Not only were publicans notorious for their extortion and ill-gained wealth, but they were well known for their ungodly lifestyles that were sustained by that wealth. Their extravagant and party-like living put them in the same class as prostitutes and drunkards frequently referred to by the company that they kept, publicans and sinners. But the text doesn't stop with the reference to Zacchaeus being a publican. Even the chief among the publicans, the text also says he was rich. And that's emphasized here. It's emphasized by Luke for a particular reason. If you turn back to the previous chapter, Luke 18, you find that just prior to Jesus' entrance into Jericho, a certain ruler approached him with a question. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus first responded with some instruction, telling the man that his conception of good was not to be applied to any man. But then Jesus referred to a portion of the Ten Commandments, verses 20 and 21. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all all these things have I kept from my youth. Now we know from scripture that such was a false conception of the law. The man lived with a very faulty conception of the seriousness of sin. He looked at the law only in its outward form. Failing to see what Jesus had taught. Namely, that when you hate someone, you murder. And when you look on someone with lust in your heart, you commit adultery. This man had a very superficial view of sin, something that certainly is very common in our day as well. But Jesus didn't rebuke him at this point at least not by instructing him concerning law, the law and the nature of sin. He simply said this, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he, that is that man, heard this, He was very sorrowful, we are told, for he was very rich. Notice that, as is the case with Zacchaeus, that man was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That event had just taken place only hours before this incident with Zacchaeus. And by this reference to Zacchaeus' riches, Jesus proceeds to show concretely that nothing is impossible with God. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The implication clearly is that Zacchaeus belonged to that which was lost. But notice the words in that last phrase of verse 10. The Lord does not say, those who are lost, but that which is lost. And there's a difference between the two. The personal pronoun is not used. That's not a mistake. That's the correct translation, Christ has in mind here a unit, an organism of the church, that which the Bible refers to as the body of which Christ is the head, that which was lost, therefore, is composed of those who are lost, that which was lost is made up of many Zacchaeuses, many who were lost, some who still are. The crucial question for us is this. Am I one of those that were lost? Did Jesus, the Son of Man, come to seek and to save me as a member of that which was lost? Surely you know that's a crucial question, you realize. There are many who want to live in their sin and yet go to heaven when they die. They're not sorry before God for their sin. They don't live in the consciousness of God's glory and holiness. They reject his word. And they live as they well please. But they want to go to heaven when they die. This passage clearly shuts the door to them. Jesus did not come to save all. His words of comfort for Zacchaeus were words of condemnation for the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees. In their minds, they were not lost. They had no sin. Jesus speaks in plain language. He didn't come to seek and to save them. The scribes and Pharisees hated the publicans and sinners. They hated them. They rejected them. They said there can be no salvation for them. And therefore they were angry when Jesus and his disciples ate with such people. In Luke 5, they even blurted out, why do you eat and drink with such publicans and sinners? 
And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus saves. He saves that which is lo- was lost, that elect organism. And don't forget, every person that belongs to that elect organism is by nature dead in trespasses and sins. They are those who by God's grace find themselves exposed by the word of God. They are those who know themselves as children of wrath by nature. Objects of divine condemnation who have no way of salvation in themselves. Them and them only, the Son of Man came to seek and to save because they are members of that which was lost. This was the day of salvation for Zacchaeus. The Son of Man had come to seek and to save him. Because he belonged to that which was lost. And again, it's urgent in this day that we face the question, does Zacchaeus in some way picture me? Do I belong to that which was lost? The term lost reminds us of our wretched and hopeless condition. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've gone everyone to his own way. When we follow our own desires and walk according to our own pleasure apart from the way God has marked out in his word, we wander toward our own destruction. Like sheep having departed from their shepherd, we were lost. But are we conscious of that? Foolishly. We can walk toward destruction until by God's grace we're drawn by him into repentance. Then and then only do we confess that we are lost. And then and then only do we seek our refuge in him who came to seek and to save. But he is the one who saves that which was lost. This is one of many passages in Scripture that reveal to us that no one is too bad to be saved or beyond the reach of God's irresistible grace. Yes, I'm fully aware God sovereignly marks out those who are his. Jesus' sheep are those who were given him of his Father and that from eternity. Many there are who will not be saved. Many there are who have and shall hear the gospel and are hardened by it. Many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus said. But the emphasis of this text is that God is sovereignly pleased to save even the worst among men. Zacchaeus is plain proof that with God all things are possible. 
Many are those found on the pages of Scripture whose ways of sin and ungodly behavior are overpowered by the grace of God revealed in the gospel. There is a Rahab who was a whore, a Matthew who was another hated tax collector and thief, Saul of Tarsus, a fierce persecutor of the church, and others, all which demonstrate to us that Jesus is powerful to save. He saves that which was lost. Who is he that saves? His identity is Jesus, but he calls himself the Son of Man. That name appears frequently in the Bible. It occurs already in the Old Testament with reference to the coming Savior, the poet of Psalm 8, speaking of the excellency of the name of Jehovah in all the earth, asks, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And then the psalmist goes on to declare prophetically that Jehovah has crowned the son of man with dominion over all the earth. And in Hebrews 2, verses 6 and following, it is confirmed that the fulfillment of that psalm is seen in Jesus. Further prophecy of him is given in Daniel 7. But most often, he bears this name, the Son of Man, in the New Testament, and that with reference to his appearance among men. That name appears almost exclusively in the gospel narratives and is used by the Son of God himself. While the Son of Man is the same as the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the emphasis in this name is upon the fact that he is the only begotten Son in our flesh. He became like us in all things Sin accepted for our salvation. He became a man, son of man. The very name speaks of God's grace, amazing grace. He who created the world had to enter the poverty and humiliation of all his own. Hebrews 4 verse 15 puts it so beautifully, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Think of that. All you who believe, Jesus was touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He experienced all of them. Are you perhaps burdened with fear at times? So was Jesus as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane in anticipation of his crucifixion and overwhelmed with grief. Are you weighed down with sorrow? 
and think that maybe no one knows or cares. In his own life, the words of the psalmist came to fulfillment. I refer to Psalm 69. I became a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Jesus knows your sorrows and cares. There is simply no human experience foreign to him. He knows the feelings of our infirmities. He is our sympathetic high priest before whom we can come boldly and find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And he is such, I say, to all who believe. He is the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. But we must not think exclusively of his humiliation when we consider this name, Son of Man. For the name speaks of the mediator who now has been highly exalted. When you think of Jesus, the Son of Man... You must think of his glory as well as his shame. The suffering that he would bear would simply be the means to an end, the way by which Christ would come to full manifestation as the Son of Man. And for that reason, he uses the same name when he speaks of his incomprehensible power and glory. The Son of Man has power to save and to forgive sins. The Son of Man is seated on the right hand of God, even now coming in his glory. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his work. Matthew 16, verse 27. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Son of Man. He is the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, before whom all must bow. He is the one in whom alone is salvation. No man can come to the Father but through him. That Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The text demonstrates in a wonderful way how the Son of Man saves. In the first place, we have here an illustration of the truth that the Son of Man seeks his own who are lost. In this narrative, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In less than a week, He would lay down his life for his sheep. He was coming from the north, from the regions of Galilee. A more direct route would not have taken him through the city of Jericho, but to Jericho he went for two reasons. He went because there was a blind man just outside the city, a blind beggar, who would confess Jesus' name before men and to whom Jesus would say, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. That had taken place just outside the city as recorded in the last part of Luke 18. 
But the second reason for which Jesus came to Jericho is found here in our text. He, Zacchaeus, that chief publican, belonged to those lost for whom Christ came to save. Isn't that wonderful, beloved? The Son of Man seeks out his own. Do you belong to that which was lost? The Son of Man does not fail to seek you out. Yes, Zacchaeus had personal reasons for coming there that day. We read in verse 3 that he sought to see Jesus, who he was. There, there's no doubt he had heard reports about Jesus. Some good, some probably bad, about this man that everyone was talking about. He undoubtedly had heard criticism of Jesus, as, sad to say, many today hear criticisms of God's servants, faithful servants. But Zacchaeus was not ready to condemn Jesus outright, because he'd also heard some amazing things about this man. He had heard that Jesus healed the sick and cast out devils that he had a special place in his heart for those who were down and out, for those who were sinners. And given the crowd that Zacchaeus hung out with, it's possible that some of those whom he knew personally had been brought under the power of Jesus' preaching in such a way that they no longer walked in the way that they previously had walked. But whatever Zacchaeus had seen or heard, he had a strong curiosity and urge to see who this Jesus was. Still more, as is evident from what follows, Zacchaeus also had a troubled soul. It's one thing to have people despise you. It's another thing to know that the reason for which they despise you is a reason that deserves their despising of you. And Zacchaeus also knew that he stood in offense against the holy God. Zacchaeus had no peace. He knew that he was under the wrath of God. It was urgent for him that he see this man Jesus, but there were obstacles. Zacchaeus was not very tall. He couldn't see over the heads of those who lined the streets on both sides. But he wasn't content to let those obstacles prevent him from seeing this Jesus. So he didn't do what so many do today, find a ready excuse to stay out of earshot of the Christ, avoid coming under his word, Oh yes, we too confront many obstacles when it comes to hearing Jesus. There are many things that Satan would use to prevent our hearing of him who is the, alone the Savior. But Zacchaeus, though not yet conscious of even the first elements of salvation, was not content to let any obstacle keep him from seeing this Jesus. So he swallowed his pride, and like a little boy, he climbed a tree. 
He climbed a sycamore tree along the roadway. There must have been more than a few that looked at him as if he were a fool. Undoubtedly, there was no no small amount of talk among those who saw him climb that tree. But God was at work here. And also here, we must see Jesus coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Here we are shown why we must never despise the day of small things. We must never count as a small thing that which might influence the soul. That's why you must never underestimate the power of the Spirit in using your testimony and your Christian witness to those who might appear of having no hope of salvation. That's why you must not neglect or ignore your calling to bear that witness. The way in which the Holy Spirit leads men and women to Christ are often wonderful and mysterious. But then Jesus spoke. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for uh, today I must abide at thy house. Jesus saves by calling his own with his own powerful word of grace. And isn't it amazing, boys and girls, that Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name? He knew Zacchaeus before he was born. He knew him as one of his own. Now he called him. And in Zacchaeus, we have an illustration of what we refer to as the effectual call. That calling is powerful and irresistible. It includes several elements, all worked by the Spirit of God in the hearts of that which was lost when God, through Christ, calls the sinner effectually, he calls specifically, definitely. There was substance, there was direction to this call. Jesus told Zacchaeus specifically what to do. He does the same with you who belong to that which was lost. He calls you to come to him. He calls you specifically to turn from your sins and to come to him. That was also involved in this call. Jesus exposed the sinfulness of Zacchaeus. The sinfulness of sin came powerfully before Zacchaeus' consciousness. And that's evident from his reaction in verse 8. He knew that Jesus was the righteous one, that the call of the gospel is a call which brings division between a man and his sin. And that's necessary, beloved. Do you know your sinfulness? Preach the gospel to those who do not see their sin. They have no need of that gospel. 
On the other hand, preach sin apart from the gospel and you leave them in hopelessness. Christ would hold out hope to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, though a sinner, would not be cast off. Zacchaeus, there's urgency to that call. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. The call of the gospel is always urgent. It's not a casual call. Hey, maybe we could get together sometime. Talk about heaven. This is an urgent call. With urgency, Christ says, come down immediately. Now is the day of salvation. And this is a personal call. The call of the gospel is addressed personally to that which was lost. Jesus planned this all along. He was right on schedule. I must come to your house today. There is brought about by this call a personal relationship between the Son of Man and the one who is called. Others may not like it. The Phariseistic and self-righteous Jews sure didn't like it. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guests with a man that is a sinner. But then they didn't understand salvation. Zacchaeus' colleagues didn't like it either. It brought a radical break between him and them. For whoso is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There can be no fellowship between faith and unbelief. But Zacchaeus now had a friend who would never leave him nor forsake him. A friend who would very shortly send his spirit to live in and with Zacchaeus forever. In Zacchaeus is one example of that promise of Jehovah in Isaiah 65, verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The effect of that salvation is seen in verses 6 and 8. Verse 6, And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. The converted sinner will always give evidence of his conversion. That's what Zacchaeus does in the presence of many mighty accusers. These people knew his past. They knew that he had lived a life of debauchery and shame. But their reaction could make no difference to Zacchaeus. Because he stood before the mighty Savior. The one who came to save sinners. Zacchaeus came drawn by the powerful word of the Savior. He came to Jesus as a sinner. 
fully conscious of his own unworthiness, remembering that he had walked as a sinful man, not as a son of Abraham. He needed salvation. Now, Jesus shows him mercy. And so Zacchaeus makes his confession of faith, not only before Christ, but before all those present. He doesn't downplay his sin. Doesn't downplay his sin. He doesn't confess how good he was prior to Jesus coming and seeking him out. Zacchaeus' confession of faith doesn't include any self-defense to contradict those who were murmuring about Jesus going to his house. Zacchaeus confessed his resolution to walk in thankful obedience to the precepts of God's word. He has been saved from so great a misery. Now he will perform works of faith to the glory of God's name. His confession is not merely one of words. Zacchaeus will walk in a new and holy life. He would continue to struggle with his own sinful flesh. So do you who confess Christ as your Savior, but having tasted the forgiveness of the Son of Man, Zacchaeus would also walk in love to the brethren. So we read in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Here's an example of true repentance. His willing, his repentance is seen in his confession. Thorough repentance. His willing restitution exceeds that required by the law. Zacchaeus therefore judged himself most severely. We must also, when we examine ourselves and our own sinfulness and sins, I give, he said, freely pardoned, raised from death unto life. Zacchaeus felt that he could not begin too soon to show who he was and whom he now served. Old things had passed away for him. All things had become new. This is the confession of one saved. And not only will he restore to those whom he had wronged, but he will also show mercy and compassion to his neighbor, bearing in mind the needs of the brethren, even giving half his goods to the poor. Zacchaeus would live as a true son of Abraham that he is. And so scripture teaches us, are all those who live in the faith of the Son of God, 
you confess before the Lord and one another that the Son of Man has visited you, that salvation has come to your house? Do you confess that you belong to that which was lost, but you have been found? And you can know the answer to that question by just asking a couple more questions. Do you know the sinfulness of your sin? Do you find your heart filled daily with the godly sorrow of repentance? That's evidence of the grace of God. It means that you too belong to that which was lost. Do you hear the call of the Savior? He says, this day is salvation come to your house. Come down, for today I must abide at your house. Then you surely follow him, walking in thankfulness to him for faith that doesn't purify the heart and life isn't faith at all. Grace that cannot be seen like light is not grace at all, but hypocrisy. The heart that has truly tasted the love of God in Christ Jesus will instinctively hate sin. Once saved and converted, we shall sing with the psalmist in Psalm 116, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Gracious Father, we thank Thee for Thy tender mercy revealed in sending Thine only begotten Son as the Son of Man to cleanse us from all our iniquities, to call us powerfully, irresistibly, out of darkness into Thy marvelous light, to give us the knowledge of faith, the knowledge of the wonder of our salvation. For Jesus' sake, amen.